Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. And then the tragic statement in this uh, 1 Kings 11 verse 2, at the end of verse 2, it says, Solomon clave unto these in love. Okay, so he clung to them in love. He was in love with all these many strange women. It was very tragic. And then it goes on, which is really hard for us to understand. It says that he had 700 wives. That's unbelievable. He had 700 wives, princesses, and then that wasn't enough for him, so he had 300 concubines as well. And it says, and his wives turned away his heart. See, that was the tragedy of Solomon. It was tragic what happened to Solomon. He's a son of David. The kingdom was his. And David had poured his heart into him, and Solomon had said, you know, my father loved me in Proverbs and taught me, you know, and all that we read about how the teaching, you know, that he was to say to wisdom, you are my sister, and to hold on to wisdom. And this all the teaching of David that he poured into Solomon. And what happened? Women, strange women, many women, turned his heart away because he loved them. He claved to them in love. And so it says in verse 4 of 1 Kings 11, For it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods, just like God said would happen. And his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after, and he names the gods, it's unbelievable, Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Zidonians, and Milcom, the abomination of Ammonites. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord, went not fully after the Lord as did David his father. And it says Solomon, they built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab in the hills before Jerusalem, and for Moloch, the abomination of the children of Ammon, and likewise did he for all his strange wives. Why did he do that? Because they were Delilahs on him. They leaned on him. Build a high place, Solomon. Build a high place for my God and my God. And my, yet 700, so he built a lot of wives, a lot of God. And it says, likewise, he did for all his strange wives, which burnt incense and sacrificed unto their gods. And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned away from the Lord God of Israel, which had appeared unto him twice, and had commanded concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods. But he kept not that which the Lord commanded. Wherefore, the Lord said unto Solomon, for as much as this is done of thee, and thou hast not kept my covenant, my statutes, which I had commanded thee, I will surely rend, I'll tear the kingdom from thee. Give it to thy servant. This is an absolute tragedy, this thing about Solomon. Absolute tragedy. And so we've got to see the reason, the root for this. He loved the wrong women, many strange women. You know, he didn't just have babies with them. He loved them. He cleaved to them. And this was in spite of the fact that God had warned the Israelites so carefully, you watch out. He said, those strange women, they will turn you to their strange gods. And this is what happened. And who warned Solomon? Who was warning Solomon? It says he was warned. 
those faithful prophets. Those faithful prophets were coming to him. And the prophets would have told Solomon, like the Lord Jesus Christ told the devil. He said, Solomon, it's written. It's written. It's written. You shouldn't do this, Solomon. It's written. And Solomon, of course, he says, I don't care what's written. It's feeling. It's feeling. It's feeling. I feel love. And they say, it's, it doesn't matter what you feel. It's written. So God was therefore very clear to the Jewish people, don't get married to those women. He said that in Exodus 34, 14 through 16, thou shalt worship no other God. See, the issue is God. For the Lord, his name is jealous. He's a jealous God, it says in Exodus 34, 14. And then he says, lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and they go whoring after their gods, and do sacrifice unto their gods, and one call thee, and thou eat of his sacrifice, and thou take of their daughters unto thy sons, and their daughters go whoring after their gods, and make thy sons go whoring after their gods. So that was in Exodus. And then he went on in Deuteronomy 7, 1. He says, when Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land, whither thou goest to possess it, cast out many nations before thee. The Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, seven nations. He's, God says, they were greater, they were mightier than you. And God is saying this, and he's saying, but even so, they're greater and mightier, I cast them out. And when the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee, thou shalt smite them and utterly destroy them. and shalt make no covenant with them, nor show mercy unto them. So in other words, God did a work, and then he draws back and he says, now I'm gonna let you make your decision. And here's what he said. Neither shalt thou make marriages with them. Thou shalt not give unto a son, nor his daughter shalt thou take unto thy son. For they will turn away thy son from following me that they may serve their other gods. And so will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and destroy thee suddenly, he says, suddenly. So Abraham, when he's back there, you know, it would have been natural for Abraham sort of to think something like this. You know, God has given me this land and I don't own, I don't own any of this land except for a burying, a cave, you know, for burying. He says, you know, maybe if I make a marriage with somebody prominent, you know, use my son, make a marriage, that, you know, I can kind of secure some support for myself and I begin to acquire some land, start to own some land, and I can just sort of help along God's promise, see? And that would have been a compromise. And it's easy to see Abraham doing that and sitting down and thinking that through. Hmm, maybe this is some way I can get this land. It would be natural he could think that way. Okay, he could have said to God, okay, God, I got the idea. You gave me the land. Thank you, God. Okay, I can take it over from here. I can do it. You know, I'll get the land. Now, what would that have been? That would have been Abraham not trusting in God to give him the land God's way. That would have been Abraham leaning to his own understanding, which is what Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, don't do that. He says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not to thine own understanding and all thy ways acknowledge him. He'll direct thy paths. So when we come to Genesis 24, we think of Abraham there. He's thinking about the death of his wife. He's impressed with how quickly he can leave this earth. And he stops and he springs into action. He's got to get a wife for Isaac. It's for sure that Isaac's not going to get a wife for himself, so he has to do it. And that's interesting because it shows an effect that death has. You know, I remember Pastor Jim, whenever he would uh, do funerals, you know, and you've heard him do this too, funerals, and he would preach the gospel and, and how often he would point to the casket and say, now if he could, he'd rise up. And of course, everybody was looking, you know, like, <laughs> is this gonna happen? You know, he'd rise up and this person would say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember that, Gene? Remember how he used to say that? You know, so he did it. Now, what is he doing there? What was Pastor Jim doing there? He was using the event of death to bring an effect. See, what effect should death have? Well, Amos 4, 11 through 13 tells us when God says, I have overthrown some of you 
as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. So he's talking about these, I overthrew them. And then he says, and ye were as a firebrand plucked out of the burning. And then he says, yet, you know, even though you're a firebrand plucked out of the burning, yet have ye not returned unto me, saith the Lord. Therefore, this will I do unto thee, O Israel, because I will do this unto thee. Prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. For lo, he that formeth the mountains and createth the wind and declareth unto man what is his thought that maketh the morning darkness and treadeth upon the high places. The Lord, the God of hosts, is his name. See, this is a great warning to Israel. And he said, look, it's a good thing, Israel, you think about Sodom and Gomorrah. I told you, right now, in Israel, in the place of Sodom and Gomorrah, they mine potash there when it came down from the fire and brimstone. They mine it. So he says, think about it. Don't just think about the money you can make on mining the potash. What do you think about when you think about Sodom and Gomorrah? There's many things to think about Sodom and Gomorrah. One of the things to think about was relatively comfortable life there was comfortable in their rebellion against God's law. It was comfortable, there was no real trouble in the city. I mean, until the day when some visitors came to Lot's house, there was some kind of a small commotion at the door, a small protest over homosexuality, some kind of unexplained blindness of a small group there at Lot's door, and then the departure of a very small group of just Lot and his wife and his two daughters. And then what happened? That night, the cities were destroyed. No great stir, no air raid sirens yelling out red alert, you know, going off, no citywide warning that the judgment was, but the judgment just fell. And in Amos 4, that judgment was called God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. It's interesting that he just uses that word overthrow, overthrew, overthrow, to describe Sodom and Gomorrah. It really brings back the picture about how man is man in Sodom and Gomorrah built his life without God, in rebellion against God's laws. God tolerated it for so long, and then without warning, sudden destruction. He calls it an overthrow, the overthrow. Reminds us of when the Lord Jesus Christ went into the temple. In Mark eleven fifteen, they came to Jerusalem. Jesus went into the temple, began to cast out them that sold and bought in the temple, overthrew the tables of money chambers and the seats of them that sold doves. See, there were money changers there, and there were sellers of sacrificial animals there, those doves in the temple. You know, it was a business. It was a business. It was a good business. I mean, you know, how, how much better business can it be when you have people that have to buy, you know? <laughs> so some were exchanging, you know, they were exchanging the common money for the temple money because, you know, you couldn't use common dirty money. You have to use temple money to buy these sacrifices. So we can picture the exchangers there. Maybe they had their rates posted. Maybe there was competition, you know? Like when you go into Mexico, you know, I give you so many for these pesos and dollars and so forth. And then others were selling sacrifices and, and some had better positions for their stalls than others. And, and if you walked into the temple, burdened down. I mean, here you are. You're burdened down. You're burdened down with guilt and shame of your sin and you're under conviction. And you know you've got this great need. I've got to get right with God. I've got to offer a sacrifice. What happens when you went into the temple? You were assaulted by the business of forgiveness. You know, the clamoring. You get to come over here to my stall. I'll give you a better exchange rate for your common money, your temple money, so you, you can buy your sacrifice. Come over here. Look at my exchange rate. It's better than the other table. Special discount just for you. <laughs> your money's going to go farther. If you exchange at my table, you'll be able to buy a better sacrifice for God. God will be impressed. You know, and then you, you walk past there and you're hustled. You know, buy from this man his animals for sacrifice. Look at my animals, not one blemish on them. Take a look, you know, perfect sacrifice for whatever your sin is. God will be really impressed, you know. How can you turn it down? Buy my animal. So frankly, going to the temple to offer a sacrifice for your sin was just not an experience that you look forward to. 
and you were expecting to go to pray and to meet with God, and you came to meet with God, and instead you meet with the hustlers. It was irritating. And it was business as usual on the day that the Lord Jesus entered into the temple, as it says there. It's just business as usual. And it describes and says that he wouldn't suffer any man in Mark eleven sixteen. He wouldn't suffer any man to carry any vessel through the temple. And he taught, saying unto them, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of all nations, a house of prayer? But you made it a den of thieves. No one expected the Lord Jesus to go into this rage with he made the small, the cords, the whip, and uh, cast out all these money changers. And no one expected him to overthrow, as it says, the money to the tables. It was a surprise. And that's the word that was used, overthrow. And just like God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, and then God describes those who were still alive among Israel. He said, you, you were in the burning. I plucked you as a brand out of the burning. See, that's how we should look at the lost today, the lost who are still alive. God says for us to look at them and see the death of the lost is the burning and to see those who have not died as firebrands plucked out of the burning. And God wants the lost to say to themselves, why haven't I died and gone into this burning? Because I'm a firebrand. I've been plucked out of the burning. You know, a friend, tradesman, that did some work for Scantabodies 27 years ago, and he was 56 years old at that time. And at that time, I thought he was old, you know, but now I don't think that way. But I remember he resisted coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I hadn't seen him for 27 years. And so now he's 83 years old. And uh, this last week, he's doing some more work. And when he saw me, he says, Tom, remember me? And I said, oh, yeah. I said, how are you? I said, how are you? And he said, I'm still alive, he says. And he still resisted coming to the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. So I thought of Amos 4. God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. But you, you're a firebrand plucked out of the burning, still alive. And the tragedy is the next part of the verse in Amos 4 when it says God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah and you were as firebrand plucked out of the burning, yet have ye not returned unto me. That's the tragedy. Yet have ye not returned unto me. You know, just to say I'm still alive, the next question is why has God kept you still alive? For one purpose, to return to God, to come to God. And so God says to, in Amos, in Israel, he says, Amos 4, prepare to meet thy God. Now, how does a person prepare to meet God? By doing what it says in Colossians 1.20, having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself. How do you get prepared to meet God? By making peace with him through the blood of his cross, by reconciling with him through the blood of his cross, by coming to God and letting him reason and propose to us, I propose to you my blood to make your sins as white as snow, it says in Isaiah 1. And he says in Amos that he's the one who formed the mountains, created the wind, and he says he has thoughts that we would not expect him to have those thoughts. When it says he's the one who made the mountains and creates the winds, we would not expect him to have those thoughts. But it says in Amos 4, he declareth unto man what is his thought. And he declareth, or he proclaims, or he preaches to man what his thought is. And his thought that it was proclaimed by the Lord Jesus Christ when he said in John 3, 17, God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. See, that's God's thought. God's thought is that man during his life on earth should be saved from his sins through the Lord Jesus Christ. 
See, God's thought he proclaimed in Luke 9, 56, for the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. See, God's thought is that man during the time of his life on earth should not be destroyed, but be saved. That's God's thought. He said, God's thought, he said in Matthew 20, 28, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. The one who creates the mountain, the one who forms the mountains, the one who creates the wind, he's going to give his life as a ransom for worms such as us? That's God's thought. God's thought is that man during his life on earth should accept God's offer as a ransom, God's own life as a ransom for his sins. God's thought has been declared, it's been preached, it's been proclaimed to man. Reconciliation through the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are the declarers. That's our job. We are the declarers along with God. As it says in 2 Corinthians 5.20, now then we as ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. See, we declare God's thought. We proclaim it. We preach God's thought. He's got an amazing thought. You wouldn't believe it. He has a thought of reconciliation. We stand in God's place and we beg. We beg the lost. We beg the sinners. Be reconciled to God. Now, in Genesis 24, we read that in the last part of that verse, verse 1, it says, and God, the Lord, had blessed Abraham in all things. So Abraham is now blessed in all things. The key to understanding the life of Abraham is to see that Abraham had this vital secret, this vital secret, and it was his relationship with God. And the highlights, as we mentioned last week, the highlights of Abraham's life were the times that he met with God. That was the highs of his life. And so Abraham looks back on his life, and he has one conclusion that he comes to. He says, I have been blessed by God. And, a, and the blessing that he had is described in Proverbs 10.22, the blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich, and he addeth no sorrow with it. See, that's the difference between the saved and the lost. The saved are rich in the Lord Jesus Christ, and they have no sorrow because their riches just carry over into heaven through the Lord Jesus Christ. The lost they may be rich in this world, but they have a sorrow. The sorrow, because they know, deep down, they've come to the very intelligent conclusion that they cannot take their riches with them. It's just temporary, till they die. They have the pleasure, they have the joy, they have the gladness, they have the comfort that comes from those riches, and they want, oh, that these pleasures and this joy and this gladness and this comfort, that this should last them after I die and go. But there's, and they don't, so there's a sorrow. And the saved, they have a different kind of riches which are found in the Lord Jesus Christ, which it says in Colossians 2.10, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. So the rich, they lose sleep at night because they got sorrow that they cannot take their riches with them when they die. And this is described in Psalm 127, one through two, where it says, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. It's vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows. On the other hand, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. It doesn't say on the other hand, I added that. Anyway, so the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things, and Abraham had earthly riches, but Abraham had resisted doing what it says in Psalm 62.10. If riches increase, set not your heart upon them. And riches had increased for Abraham. But Abraham did not set his heart on those riches. And the word that's interesting there when it says set, because it's the same word 
of lay, same word translated lay, in Psalm 84, 3, where it says that the swallow has a nest for herself where she may lay her young. And we can picture the swallow in her nest and how she set her heart on her young. I mean, her young are her total occupation. I mean, the swallow, she thinks about them all the time. She feeds them. She only thinks about them. And God says, don't do that. Don't do that with riches. Instead, he says in Isaiah 26, 3, thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. And that word stayed is from Amos 5.19, where it's the word leaned. So it says, as if a man leaned his hand on a wall. So, you know, the man is like, you know, I need a little rest here. So, oh boy, you know, take a weight off. I do that a lot. And that word is a picture of a person who's just leaning on God when they're exhausted and they have a need for help. Now, the next verse shows that Abraham had not set his heart on his riches because it says in verse 2 that Abraham said unto his elder servant's house, that ruled over all that he had. So he had decided, I'm not gonna occupy my life with my wealth. But Abraham had decided, I give all the occupation of that to this man, which we believe is Eliezer, and he's gonna have this. I've got a higher occupation to be about, and my heart is gonna be set on God, and I'm not gonna worry about all these, these uh, riches. We think it's Eliezer because of Genesis 15:2, where he said, Lord God, what will thou give me, seeing I go childless and the steward of my house? is this Eliezer of Damascus. So he was in, before Isaac was born, he was gonna inherit. Then he says, put his hand, he asks Eliezer, put your hand under my thigh. There's only one other place in the Bible where that is seen, and that's in Genesis 47, 29 through 30, where Jacob had asked Joseph to do the same thing. He says, put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh, deal kindly with me, and he says, bury me not in the land of uh, Egypt here, but you know, he wanted to be buried in Machpelah. So the thigh, or the loins, the place of the loins, are identified as the source of the posterity. You know, it says in Genesis 46, 26, it says all the souls that came from Jacob and Egypt, which came out of his loins. Uh, and in Exodus 1, 5, and all the souls that came out of the loins of Jacob were 70 souls. So this oath that Abraham is requiring of Eliezer has something to do with Abraham's posterity. So he puts his hand under his thigh. And he says to him, I'm going to make you swear, in verse 3, I'm going to make you swear by the Lord, by the God of heaven, and the God of the earth. You will not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. He said, Eliezer, I'm going to call to mind God, the Lord, Jehovah, who is the revelation of the Elohim of heaven, is the revelation of the Elohim of earth. And so this is what you have to do. Don't take a wife from the daughters of the Canaanites. Why? Because Abraham had seen the sexual defilement among the daughters of the Canaanites. He saw that. He saw it in his own family. He saw the two daughters of Lot. He saw the two daughters of Lot in Genesis 19:30-36, who said, come, let's make our father drink wine and we'll lie with him that we may preserve seed of our father. And they made their father drink. And the firstborn went and lay with their father. And, and that's where we get Moab. And then the second one did the same thing. That's where we get the Ammonites. Such a wonderful union. And so he knew. Abraham knew. The culture of Canaan is sexual defilement. And he observed that, oh, there's no way I can let my son fall into that trap. He's a sitting duck for that. And so he said they will certainly alienate him from God, as we have already seen. So he tells Elias, you've got to go. You've got to go back there. And uh, anyway, that's as far as we'll go this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for Abraham's faithfulness to you. Lord, thank you so much for your faithfulness to Abraham and Eliezer in the midst of very difficult times. And Lord, we pray, as you were faithful and you kept 
Abraham, Eliezer, Isaac, so do that for us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org, or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Do you believe God created the heavens and the earth? Then come celebrate Creation Day on Saturday, November 5th from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. This is a Christian family festival event with games, rides, contest prizes, fair food, petting zoos, animal shows, super science experiments for kids, plus life-size dinosaurs at our brand-new Dinosaur Gardens exhibit, plus world-renowned speakers, Ray Comfort, Tom Cantor, Eric Hoven, Jay Siegert, and more. Free admission to the museum and all speaking engagements are free for your family and the entire church family. The Creation Earth History Museum is located off Highway 67 and Woodside Avenue North in Santee next to the Santee Drive-In. Bring your family and friends Saturday, November 5th and strengthen your faith at Creation Day, San Diego's Christian Family Festival event. For more information, call 619-599-1104, 619-599-1104 or creationsd.org creationsd.org.